You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon, reporting remotely for WFHB. This is Onyi Athwaka. And I'm Cynthia Roberts. This is WFHB Local News for Tuesday, June 14th, 2022. It's definitely alarming to see it be the sharpest year-over-year decline from 2019 to 2020. Later in the program, WFHB speaks with Allison Keir, Communications and Public Relations Manager for the Indiana Commission for Higher Education, about record lows in terms of high school seniors pursuing higher education. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, the Monroe County Election Board gave an update on voter registration during their June 9th meeting. That's coming up next in the daily headlines. At the election board meeting on June 9th, the board heard from individuals who filed their CFA 4 forms late. Chair of Monroe County Young Democrats, Anna Abernathy, presented on behalf of the organization and explained they filed their form late due to the treasurer at the time being new. So I'm the current um, chair of the organization. Um, Our CFA, I believe, was three and a half hours late. Um, It was submitted by our former treasurer. He has since stepped down. We will be um, identifying a new treasurer for the upcoming year. and identifying an interim treasurer in the meantime. Um, But that treasurer, this was his first time kind of in this role. Um, And so he kind of acknowledged that he was not able to uh, complete his responsibilities um, fully. So um, we don't expect to have this problem in the future. The board will vote on whether or not to waive their fine at their next meeting. Next, Mary Van Dievender spoke explaining that she is running for Washington Township trustee for the first time and did not understand that she would have to file even though she hadn't received any donations. This is my first time running to be in office. I'm running unopposed. Um, I, I read the let. I guess I misunderstood because I didn't have any donations and I hadn't spent any money that I didn't think I had to file. Uh, I now know that that's not the way it works, that you have to file. So um, I got the call at three o'clock on Friday afternoon. I ran and got everything so I could sign it. When I got to the office, they were closed. Sorry. Sorry. So I had to wait till Monday then to turn it in because you can't. That's mine. I'm sorry. Um, my daughter's traveling out of town, so I wanted to make sure she's, I didn't want to shut my phone off and something happened and I needed to run. So I apologize for any inconvenience that I've caused. Um, I now know that I have to, no matter what, if it's zero, I still have to turn my paperwork in. The board moved to waive her fine since it was her first offense. Election Supervisor Karen Wheeler gave an update on voter registration and asked the board how they would like to handle addresses that are not permanent residences. I actually do have something that came up 
in regards to registering people. So occasionally we will get, no, we, when a person registers to vote, they put in their address where they live and then they can put in a mailing address. And we take everything just as they say, because they're signing an affidavit. It's not up to us to police that. We've come across some things that people are registering in inappropriate places, perhaps a commercial building, which could be a hotel or a motel, or which they could be living there or probably more likely they're registering at the post office address, not a PO box, but using the post office address, that physical address. The question is, and we talked to the state about this. So if you are registering that person and you know that that is a wrong address, like they cannot be living at the post office, is it our responsibility to reject that? Um, and if you say yes, then that means, do we check every address that is out there, which is almost impossible. So, and the problem is you can take two different views on that. It's like, well, I know they don't live there, so I'm going to reject them or I'm going to call them. Or do I see something that I go, hmm, that doesn't seem right. But you have to remember that a homeless person can literally register at a Coles parking lot. If that's where they sleep at night, that's where we register them. If they sign that affidavit, that's, that's where they live. So the problem is, if you have more knowledge, do you go with it? But you have to always keep everything uniform and non-discriminatory. So if you do it for one, you have to do it for all. And the state, we wanted to know what is the regulation. And, and they said, it's actually up to the election board. You have to rule on this. Do you want us to take everything as face value? Or do you want us to go in to check Elevate and see pictures or call them? Can I can tell you my opinion if you want to hear it. Maybe you can hear it in my voice. Um, or if you want to ask me some questions about that. Chair of the board, Shruti Rana, said that she agrees that the rule to treat people uniformly is important. Okay, I agree that selectively doing that seems really unfair, especially because it's just based on what somebody may or may think is an address or not, right? I mean, I, I might think I know the address of the post office and I might be off by a number and I wouldn't want people to be, you know, just to be singled out for things like that. Wheeler added that the election board is not responsible for verifying that the information is correct when individuals fill out their voter registration and that trying to verify all of the addresses would be nearly impossible. Rana said since residences are signing a legal document, the election board should rely on that instead of trying to police it themselves to ensure everyone is treated equally. 
Yeah. And if, and like you said, if we did it, we would never get anything done because we'd be checking every single thing. So I feel comfortable. I mean, we have it set up so that we're supposed to rely on, um, you know, we're supposed to trust what people say and rely on what they submit as truthful and that there's already a procedure worked in if somebody lies, you know, and signs it. And, you know, then you said they're liable for felonies and all these different things. So in my mind, I think we are entitled to rely on that and should be doing that so that we treat everybody equally. The board voted unanimously to establish that they will accept the information filled out on the affidavit as sufficient and won't require extra verification moving forward. The next election board meeting will be held on August 4th. In today's feature report, WFHB News Director Cade Young speaks with Allison Keir, Communications and Public Relations Manager for the Indiana Commission for Higher Education, about record lows in terms of high school seniors pursuing higher education. We turn now to that interview. Allison Keir, Communications and Public Relations Manager for the Indiana Commission for Higher Education. Welcome to the WFHB Local News. Yeah, thanks, Cade. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for, for being here. Now, the Indiana Commission for Higher Education has released data that shows 53% of high school graduates attended college in 2020 which is 12 points down from the numbers in 2015. So just off the bat, what do you make of these, you know, changes in terms of high school graduates pursuing higher education? It's definitely alarming to, to see the 53% number. And I do want to make clear that that number doesn't just include a two-year or four-year degree. It includes certificates as well. So to see it be the sharpest year-over-year decline from 2019 to 2020, it went from 59% um, to 53% of, of high school graduates choosing to pursue education beyond high school. It was definitely definitely alarming. And I know that the pandemic had exacerbated the, the decline, but when you look at the trends, as you mentioned, the 2015 numbers, Indiana's college going rate was already heading in the wrong direction. And the COVID pandemic just happened to make it worse. I see. Now, you mentioned the COVID pandemic, and this this question might be multifaceted or hard to answer, rather. With that, what is the, the reason behind lower enrollment into colleges and universities as students are finishing up high school? Because you mentioned COVID, and that, that does track, like that makes sense. Um, but you said the, the numbers were already heading in the, the wrong direction, so... You know, what could be some other reasons behind the lower enrollment into colleges and universities? So speaking of the, the COVID pandemic, you know, right off the bat, knowing that students were just unsure what a college experience would look like. So that did happen to lead to that sharp year over year decline. But the overwhelming issue that we've seen in the state is that Hoosiers are really questioning the value of higher education. I mean, there's two kind of underlying factors. The first one being cost, um, and, and it's a perception, and it's part perception, part reality. 
So there's the cost factor and then also the factor of is a degree or certification really valuable? And we see these two stories play out in the media all the time. The first story is students who graduate burdened with loads of debt and end up working in kind of a dead-end job that has nothing to do with their degree. You know, I've seen it in the media. I'm sure you've seen it as well. And then there's the other story of um, someone who, like like Steve Jobs, who hit it big without, you know, graduating from college. And, um, you know, these are two really powerful examples that everyone is familiar with. But the fact of the matter is that doesn't mirror the lives of everyday Hoosiers. I see. I see. Well, thank you for, for walking me through that. Now, Allison, I was looking through the data and something uh, struck me. Um, the 21st century scholars are more likely to go to college than the statewide average. So according to your numbers, something like 81% of 21st century scholars go to college compared to the statewide average of 53%. So would you explain the 21st century scholars program for our listeners who might not be familiar and why you believe it incentivizes students to attend college? The 21st Century Scholars Program is life-changing for Hoosier students and families. It's the state's early college promise program, and it provides income-eligible students, um, it provides them up to four years of fully covering their tuition and fees at an in-state college or university. So um, that's huge. So you, 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 take that cost factor away from making that decision to pursue higher education. Um, But what the 21st Century Scholars Program also does is that it prepares students for the next step. So students sign up in seventh or eighth grade in their middle school years, and then they spend those four years of high school completing scholar success program activities, like visiting the college campus or filing the FAFSA, um, things that really get them prepared to make the transition from high school to college. So that's why we're seeing it be so successful. Um, And one thing that I I did want to share with you and with your listeners is that within the report, we are calling for auto enrollment of all students who are eligible for the 21st Century Scholars Program into it. So right now, students do have to to make that that enrollment decision in seventh or eighth grade. Um, By auto enrolling them, they wouldn't have to worry about that as long as they're meeting that financial eligibility. Um, And this is huge because even though the program is so powerful, the biggest barrier that we face, which is awareness, um, it still remains. So roughly about half of the students who qualify for the 21st Century Scholars Program actually sign up. Um, By auto-enrolling them, we're really hoping to, you know, remove that barrier of enrollment get students involved in the program, get them participating in the Scholar Success Program activities, and get them ready for education and training beyond high school. Wow. Well, that seems really interesting. And I'm familiar with that program. I remember students getting involved with the 21st Century Scholars Program. You're talking about auto-enrollment. So how likely, I know you're calling for that, right? How likely is that to happen and who's responsible um, for making auto-enrollment into the 21st Century Scholarship Program, um, you know, a, a solidified thing? So that is something that will have to, to be passed 
through legislation. Um, but I know that our team is working closely with state lawmakers, really helping to communicate the value of the program, um, the impact that it would have to students and families around the state, and just really the impact that it'll have to the state's college going rate. Um, an important number that we share in the report, students who are low-income students who come from a low-income household, but they do not participate in the 21st Century Scholars Program, only 30% of them go to college. So those students who fit within that demographic, the majority of them would qualify for the 21st Century Scholars Program. So you know, hopefully by including them in that program, we'll be able to, to turn that 30% into something much higher. You know, I know you had touched on it about the pandemic, right? But I really want to hit it on the nose here. You know, how has the pandemic impacted college enrollment for students graduating from high school and even, you know, the in a larger view, the college experience? So I think... Um, you know, for a lot, a lot of students, and, and also share on a personal level, a lot of my younger cousins, for them, college is much more than just a learning experience. It's also a life, a social experience of being able to be on campus or, you know, connect and meet people. So by having this, the pandemic, they were unsure if they were able to actually be on campus, to take classes. And it, it really caused a lot of students to question if it was worth actually making the trip. And then also, on the other hand, a lot of students were facing some other personal issues that we all know were caused by the pandemic, whether it was through family job loss or having to step up and take care of family members during this time. So there were a lot of really deeply personal issues that affected the already personal decision of choosing to go to college. Right. A hundred percent. And I know I've talked to, to students who, you know, the online classes and all of that, that was really, um, you know, kind of a, uh, a hindrance to, to their education. So I, I appreciate you touching on that. Now, Allison, while the overall decline impacted every student demographic, some student groups experienced greater effects from the pandemic and equity gaps have increased. Um, would you talk about how these quote unquote equity gaps have increased uh, as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, we saw um, in particular with Black students, they saw the largest um, year over year decline in college going rate from 50% for the class of 2019 to 43%. Black and Hispanic students followed closely behind, falling to 44% uh, going to college. And what I think, too, is when you look at these two populations, we've seen in, in coverage from different news sources that they were greatly affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, whether it was through job loss or just really just the impact of the pandemic not only affected those populations on the societal level, but on making the decision to go to college after high school. You're listening to an interview with Allison Keir, Communications and Public Relations Manager for the Indiana Commission for Higher Education, about recently released data showing 53% of high school graduates attend college in 2020, which is 
12 points down from the numbers in 2015. We turn back to that interview. You know, when students are weighing whether or not to attend college after high school, in your view, what would you say to a student who might be on the fence to convince them to pursue higher education? I I would say that higher education on the individual level, it can be a life-changing decision. It's one of the number one ways to increase social mobility, to, to increase um, increase wealth, increase wages. I mean, those are, those are the data points. Um, but at the end of the day, it is a deeply personal level. And I think that for students, they have to realize that Indiana is home to so many different options that can work for them. It doesn't necessarily have to be a four-year degree that's on campus. Um, it doesn't necessarily even have to be a two-year degree that is either online or on campus. We have a variety of certificate programs that frankly can be completely free to them through the state's workforce ready grant. So whatever it is, there is an option that can work for you, that can work for your lifestyle, that can work for their needs. Um, That doesn't necessarily have to be that on-campus four-year degree experience. Absolutely. Now, I want to shift gears here a little bit, Allison. We've walked through all of the problems um, with with the enrollment into higher education. Now, I want to get through uh, maybe some of the solutions. So I want to ask you about some recommendations the Indiana Commission for Higher Education has issued in light of the latest data you've released. So I already shared one of the one of the recommendations that I'm super excited about, which is the auto enrollment um, of the 21st Century Scholars Program. But the second one that I want to highlight is returning the Franco Bannon grant amount to pre-recession levels. So that grant annually helps more than 30,000 Hoosier students afford post-secondary education. And it's not just for students who want to attend a public institution. It also assists students interested in private institutions as well. Um, During the recession, the award amounts were cut in funding. And ever since that recession, those amounts have not returned to their normal state. So the commission is seeking to increase that maximum O'Bannon grant award by 35%, which is substantial. Um, The commission last Thursday during our meeting, they, they voted in agreement of this suggestion. It's now moved on to the state budget agency to get approved. And if this does go through, we could see it in action um, as early as the fall. So that's very exciting for many students. um, They will be able to utilize the maximum Franco Bannon grant in combination with a Pell grant and be able to attend college at little to no cost to them. So that is a, a, a huge thing that we're very excited about. Um, another issue, and we, we always typically include this in our recommendations, and we're still going to keep doing it, is requiring high school seniors to file the FAFSA with opt-out provisions. Um, you cannot take advantage of these amazing 
state financial aid opportunities like the Franco Bannon grant and the 21st Century Scholars Program without having a FAFSA on file. So it's very important that we recommend this and um, see this in action. I also do want to touch on intentionally communicating the value of higher education. We talked a little bit about why higher education is important. But one thing that we realized, we did some research, and I mean, it should come as no surprise to you, it should come as no surprise to the listeners, that government, particularly particularly state government, is not seen as being trusted. Shocking, I know. Um, but we are really hoping to engage trusted messengers like school, like school counselors, like um, community organizations, faith-based leaders, employers. Um, to, to help communicate the value and the purpose of education beyond high school. Uh, we can't do it alone. Obviously, we're, we're not um, trusted individuals, but by engaging these people within the community, we can help to change the narrative around the value of college. All right. Well, thank you very much. Um, now, Allison, these are all the questions I have prepared for you, but I want to give you the last word here. Is there anything else that you would like to add? just want to add that regardless of the path that individuals choose with education training beyond high school, whether it's a, a certificate, a two, a four-year degree, these are all opportunities that help um, to open doors to additional opportunities in the future. And by making that step and in, in taking it in the right direction and pursuing education beyond high school, you know, you are taking a step to, to make a better choice for the future. Absolutely. Well, Allison Keir, Communications and Public Relations Manager for the Indiana Commission for Higher Education, thank you for coming on to the WFHB Local News. Thank you. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information can be found online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Cynthia Roberts. And I'm Oni Afwaka. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. 
The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcast. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Planetary Radio, a program that explores our solar system and beyond. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending New Volunteer Orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 